Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It's been a while since we saw a topic that gleaned as much audience response as Apple versus the FBI, and that's saying something, because the audience uh, here, specifically in this time slot, you have a lot to say. That's why I'm absolutely in love with this job. So we're going to get to more of your takes on Apple versus the FBI, literally hundreds of text messages coming in in just a moment. But we cannot ignore the announcement yesterday. You heard it live on this show. Uh from both Northlands and the mayor, Don Iveson, talking about their plan moving forward. And the plan moving forward, uh, as CEO Tim Reed confirmed, does not include horse racing. As a matter of fact, 2016 will be the last season of horse racing at Northlands Park. In just a second, we're going to talk to Shirley McClellan. She's the CEO of Horse Racing Alberta. But we're also going to talk to a couple friends of mine. Kathy Butkovic is a horse trainer with Equisports Therapy. And David Wilberg, a buddy of mine for more than 20 years, he's the one I always text every time the Canadian Derby's set to go. David's family has owned horses. He's a huge horse racing fan, so I always say, Hey, David, who should I wager on? He told me he might still be, by the time 11.25 rolls around, too upset to talk about this. And I said, perfect, because I want the passionate take on why he believes Northlands is making the wrong decision. Let's first see what Shirley McClellan has to say, the CEO of Horse Racing Alberta, joining us over the phone. Ms. McClellan, thank you for your time. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you've obviously, I I would imagine, known that this was coming for, for longer than we did. Some people suspected that the window may be closing on horse racing at Northlands uh, right out of the gates. For those that haven't had a chance to, to read your release yesterday, your take on this? I mean, you're obviously disappointed. We are disappointed. Uh, Northlands has been a part of the racing picture in Alberta for an awfully long time. Uh, it's a venue that people love to go to um, to enjoy the uh, horses and and uh, the wagering and the entertainment. But uh, they have made a decision to uh, cease racing after this year, and we have to respect that decision. It's a 52-acre site that we're talking about at Northlands, and, and, and the organization has said that it believes the site could be used for festivals or midways or even outdoor rodeos. However, there was a, uh, an interesting note made yesterday uh, where they indicated that if discussions between the province of Alberta and horse racing Alberta came back and a business model had dramatically changed, then maybe the final decision could reflect racing would stay do you think that's viable? Well, I, you know, I, <clears throat> I really don't know what that uh, meant uh, because, uh, frankly, we, uh, we contract Northlands Park for their facility. So every year, Horse Racing Alberta enters into a racetrack funding agreement with all of our tracks. And uh, the amount that they receive per year Uh, is dependent on that negotiation. So it's a business transaction. Um, I think that they've been financially uh, on the plus side, what I would consider a significant way for the past year. So I 
not sure I understand that discussion, but... In a statement that you released uh, yesterday, you noted that uh, more than 7,000 Albertans are employed in the horse racing and horse breeding industries every year. Now, surely I've always been under the impression that horse racing is is heavily subsidized by the province to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Am I incorrect in that? Yes. Uh, That's the short answer. So in 2001, the industry came to government and said, you have entered into the wagering world, uh, the gaming world, by introducing slot machines, BLTs, to the province. Prior to that entry, bingo and horse racing were your only wagering product in Alberta. And they asked for consideration for that, uh, what they considered was intrusion into a marketplace that uh, was theirs. There was a committee put together, Ryan, and they reviewed this, the, um, a very extensive review came back to government uh, with a proposal that saw the opportunity for uh, the industry to have what we call racinos, racing entertainment centers. They're not a full-blown casino. They're not allowed to have table games. Um, uh, and it was a cost-sharing of what is earned in that casino. That is the split. So if that racino didn't exist, government would get nothing, we would get nothing, and there, of course, there'd be no operator. Uh, so what they gave the industry was not a subsidy, in my view, in any way, and I was in government at the time. Uh, it was an opportunity for this industry to generate revenue that benefited uh, both the horse industry and government. The horse industry does more uh, to benefit Alberta than simply the enjoyment of people watching racing. What brings that horse to the track is a tremendous economic benefit. We have over 400 farms in this province that are horse farms. We have industry assets of over 700 million. We have some of the best breeding and training centers there are in Canada. I would suggest North America and some say the world that have the very latest of um, technology and equipment to ensure the safe uh, and health of the horse, safety and health of the horse. Uh, so it isn't in my, uh, a subsidy is to me is something that the government generates and uh, provides. We provide, uh, have provided over 275 million, I should be able to tell you the exact figures, to the Community Lottery Fund over those years, which has built parks, playgrounds, fixed arenas, uh, many, many contributions, not uh, just where we have tracks, but everywhere in this province. So I, I will tell you, I believe this fervently. This industry was given an opportunity, and they have taken it. If nobody puts a dollar in a slot machine at one of our tracks, we do not get one cent. So you obviously feel like you can make a strong business case. What do you figure the deal is then with Northland's decision? I mean, is your take that they're shooting themselves in the foot? Oh, no, I wouldn't. (laughs) You know, I'm not going there. Um, They've obviously looked at at their properties, and they've had a lot of uh, things affect their business model, uh, starting with 
I don't know, the arena. But that's really their business. They have determined as a group after study that there is a better use for that footprint for this city. Uh, as I understand it, this is a plan. It isn't a done deal, it's a plan. It's going to council. Uh, community has 30 days to talk about it, put their input in if they think this is a great idea, and uh, go from there. But the one thing they have been clear on, to us at least at this point, is that they do not plan to race after 2016. Do you see signs that horse racing is a healthy industry from a fan support standpoint, Shirley? Absolutely. You know, it's just we don't get the press. It's not as much, uh, you know, I suppose exciting to write about, but because we don't keep our heroes very long. You know, a horse racehorse life is short, and unless you're secretariat or a firm or some of the uh, real stars, those names disappear because they go to the breeding shed uh, after a short time. Your time on the track is short. Um, but over a million people watch racing in this province every year. We know that. It and was... they watch it live at the track. They watch it at our uh, plus 40 off-track betting sites. They can watch it on their computer now. And uh, horse racing is actually doing quite well in Canada. Hmm. It's had its problems, most of them not caused um, entirely by the industry. So do you believe that you'll have uh, a legitimate shot at opening up another horse racing venue in the city of Edmonton or, or, or maybe in the surrounding area? You think that, I mean, are you already talking to investors and interested parties? Well, we have not gone out and broached this with people. They have actually come to us through calls saying, we hear the rumor is that uh, this site's going to close. We'd be interested. So obviously we can't talk to, and we've just told them that rumors are rumors. Uh, when there's a firm announcement, we know actually what's happening. Come back and talk to us. Does it help you or does it hurt you that Century Downs racetrack is now open in Balzac? Oh, it is an absolute lifesaver for this industry because, I mean, the this past year is the first year that we came back to having two A tracks. We had been without our second A track for over six years. Incredibly hard on our horsemen. Incredibly hard on our trainers, grooms. Uh, incredibly hard on Northlands because they had to carry um, what should have been split on two tracks, uh, a great deal of it on their track. And for the uh, standard bread industry a real problem because they were not able to showcase their product on uh, you know at optimum uh, racing times because a standard bread race can horse can race in colder weather uh, they raced on the on the shoulders of the season but that's what you had to do uh, to get by that it was great this year having the two but I can tell you that this industry is tough, it's strong, they're resilient, they've come through uh, tough times, and we will manage racing for our participants at uh, our track in Calgary next year.
Okay, Shirley McClellan, the CEO of Horse Racing Alberta, thanks for your time this morning. You bet, Ryan. Thanks for your interest. You bet. Of course, certainly uh, interested in that perspective. That's uh, the agency, of course, that oversees horse racing in the province, as the name would imply. We thought it might be valuable to go to a couple of passionate supporters of industry as well. One who's a fan, David Wilberg. And one who works as a trainer, an equine sports therapist, Kathy Butkovic. Both will join us with their take on yesterday's announcement from Northlands after this. Northlands announcing yesterday that 2016 will be the last season of horse racing at Northlands Park. We just spoke with Horse Racing Alberta CEO Shirley McClellan. Our thanks to her. I wanted some real talk, some not that Shirley McClellan's talk wasn't real, but I thought I've got two friends, two personal friends of mine who live and breathe horse racing. Kathy Butkovic is an equine sports therapist. We'll talk to her in just a moment. Meantime, David Wilberg, a longtime friend of mine, a university buddy, now living in Estevan, Saskatchewan, grew up on the West Coast, David, where your family has owned horses for quite some time, correct? Correct. We've uh, started with uh, syndicate horses back in the early 90s and in 1999 we bought a uh, a horse farm in Aldergrove BC and we have a uh, breed and board operation out there and we have uh, raced some horses ourselves as well. Now Dave I wasn't surprised to see a text message from you on my phone yesterday the minute this announcement was made I said Dave you got to come and talk with me on the show and you said I might still be too furious by Thursday morning to comment. Why are you so emotional about the decision made by Northlands to get rid of horse racing in Edmonton? Uh, first of all Northlands is a terrific venue I've been there myself to uh, to take in some of their racing. It's very, very similar to Hastings Park, the track where my family has had racehorses for over 20 years in terms of its design and the track length. It's also a track that has a tremendous history. It's been around. Uh, they've been holding racehorses at Northlands Park for over 100 years, and it's the home of the Canadian Derby which is the top three-year-old race in Western Canada, and uh, it's home to some other uh, pretty prominent races as well. So anytime you're dealing with a situation in which a, a great track that has served its community well for over a century, or a great venue that has served its community well for over a century is, is shut down, uh, it's disappointing. Dave, I've been keeping track, keeping score as much as I can on the comments on our text line, and I'd say that the opinions are about 50-50. Those who say this is a disgraceful decision, this is a huge loss for the city of Edmonton, and then those that are saying horse racing is a dying industry, and this is just a sign of the times. How would you respond? I wouldn't say it's a dying industry. It's a sport that, you know, in my experience in the Vancouver area with the sport, uh, that's had its ebb and flows, uh, peaks and valleys. Right now and for the last few years, they've been doing quite well, and thanks to some promotions and you know some certainly beneficial circumstances uh, with the success of Mario Gutierrez in the twi- former Hastings jockey Mario Gutierrez in the 2012 uh, Triple Crown races. Uh, you know. You're looking at right now it, across the continent. It's it's 
had a bit of a resurgence in popularity thanks to the success last year of American Pharaoh. So I don't think it's a dying industry. I think there are going to be times in which there's going to be lulls in popularity, but on a nationwide basis and a continent-wide basis, I don't think that's the case. All right, Willie, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks for calling in. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I certainly hope I can be at uh, Northlands Park at some point this year during the Swan Song, and hopefully uh, they can move forward to get another track in uh, the Edmonton area at some point in the future. Yeah, it certainly sounds like that's the plan. That's Dave Wilbur calling in from Estevan, Saskatchewan this morning. Kathy Butkovic, another friend of mine who happens to work as an equine sports therapist, her business Equisports Therapy. Kathy, good morning to you. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. This must have been a bit of a blow to you yesterday, this announcement. To say I was a little bit sassy yesterday was a little bit of an understatement. Yeah, I was checking your Twitter feed and you weren't saying anything, which kind of surprised me. Why I do you, know. Why do you figure that this is the wrong decision? I, for multiple reasons. First of all, obviously I haven't invested interest in the industry because I work within the industry. So, my work as an equine sports therapist takes me all around um, Canada and North America, but I call Edmonton home, and I live in Edmonton. I live in the community of Highlands, so I live in the neighborhood, and so this is a big blow to our our city and our industry. Kathy, what would you say to those people that say, I mean, you know, Topher's listening in. He says, to be honest, I'm surprised horse racing is still a thing. <laughs> I, I think that is just, um, like, under education, probably, Ryan. As people don't understand, lots of people don't even know that hundreds of horses are in their backyard here in the city of Edmonton. And people don't know, realize that right now, there's horses all over. There's some horses running in Phoenix, there's horses spring training in a Sawyer CC that are getting ready for the upcoming meet. They don't know that we have, like Shirley said, some of the top training facilities in all of Canada and North America are one. Uh, my one client in the south by Calgary has a hyperbaric chamber for their horses. This is a really legit industry, and that whole reason is why my job exists. I'm a sports therapist for horses, just like the Oilers have doctors, massage therapists, physical therapists. I'm that for competition horses. Hmm. It sounds to me like a common theme from Shirley McClellan, my buddy David Wilberg, and you all suggesting that this industry is maybe suffering from a lack of exposure, a lack of promotion. You think that would turn the tide, just that simple step? Yeah, I do. I do agree with that for sure. In the last couple of years, we've had a lot of more promotion. Um, people like Jim Rome are involved in the industry. I have had a lot of people who aren't involved in horses and say like, oh, I heard of horse racing because Jim Rome talked about it. And of course, American Pharaoh was a triple crown winner last year. We haven't had that in a long time. And, you know, within the industry, we in, within our city even, we've only had a couple cheerleaders, people like Curtis Stock, who was with the Edmonton Journal and um, Terry Jones, you know, we only had a few people that really pushed it up. And um, so, yeah, I would agree with you that it's a lack of um, promotion and communication. Kathy, are you optimistic that a track will get built in Edmonton? You think that this is an industry that could secure investors who believe enough in the product to, to put forth the tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars that it might cost? I think it's a viable business. I don't know where they want to take it or where they want to put it, but I I do think it's a viable business. People come out, um, our industry is strong, and even, um, you know, Woodbine Entertainment Center, they are doing expansion. 
Saskatoon can get it together. They're racing. They have a great turnout to their racetrack. And so I think it's something that the province is um, definitely capable of handling and definitely the city of Edmonton. Kathy Butkovic of Equisports Therapy and Equine Sports Therapist. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Ryan. Always good to hear your voice. Here's the news. Interesting conversation on horse racing in the province. Yesterday, of course, Northland's announcing 2016, the last year for horse racing in Edmonton, at least at that venue. Doe says, I definitely agree that horse racing does not have enough exposure. We think going to the races is a fantastic night or day out as a couple or with friends. Every time we introduce new people to the track, they're always amazed that they've never been and they always come back. Ted says the lack of importance of horse racing to Northlands just reinforces the ever-growing disconnect between rural and urban viewpoints. Another listener, a rhetorical question, just wonders what is the age demographic of the people who attend the track? I, if you've been to the Canadian Derby, you'll see it's people of all ages. It's, it's actually a, it's a blast. I mean, someone else says, you know who won't miss horse racing? The horses. Roger Rabbitleg on Twitter says, I can't support any group that thinks horses should be whipped when they don't run fast enough. Sean wonders if there are government subsidies involved, and and we asked Shirley McClellan that. Now, here's the deal. There is a ministry transfer. I mean, you can find all this information at albertalotteryfund.ca. The horse racing and breeding renewal program receives $28 million out of the revenue of the lottery fund, but keep in mind they're also generating gambling revenue. So they're transferred $28 million, but they're also generating much of that revenue as well. We can pick this conversation up in hours or days to come, but we don't want to ignore an announcement. A recent announcement from Toronto's condo king, Brad Lamb, who was bringing a couple ambitious projects to Alberta, to Calgary and Edmonton, the 36-story Jasper House, the 45-story North, but they're going to be delayed at least a year. Brad Lamb joining us over the phone this morning. Thank you for your time. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, Brad, I can't imagine this is a decision that you make lightly. Well, uh, the first thing is, which you all have to understand is that, um, and I'm not saying this to be facetious, but all our projects are late by at least a year. It's it's just the nature of our business. There's so many moving parts that can go wrong. So, you know, for instance, in, in with respect to Jasper House, um, you know, we, we haven't started our working drawings yet because the, the actual development plan's not been approved yet by the city. So we got it rezoned several months ago, meaning the mass, the 36 stories, is approved, but the, the, the actual fine-tuned details of what that tower will look like is still being negotiated with, with our staff and the city staff, and it hasn't technically been approved. So we can't design the building uh, from an engineering and art standpoint without knowing what everything's going to look like. So we're eight months away from being able to break ground or apply for a permit from the time we start the working drawings. And we can't start them until the DP is issued by the city of Edmonton. So just so we're clear, the Jasper House project is in Edmonton. The North project is in Calgary? No, no. Jasper House is, is our first building in Edmonton. Our second building, North, uh, is it's just north of it. Um, and uh, just a couple blocks from the Ice District. Um, all along, we were our plan was to we've announced uh, and released images of of Jasper House. And we have a marketing center. We're selling it, um, but North was going to follow up once we broke ground on Jasper House because North is just going to compete directly 
it's literally 200 yards north of Jasper House. Our, we have two projects in Edmonton. We have one called 6th and 10th, which is under construction, and we're, we're up to the second floor. We've done the parking, and, and we're starting to come up to, for the tower. Uh, that, should, that should be completed uh, next spring. And our, our second uh, project in Calgary is called The Orchard, and it's anchored by approximately one-acre apple orchard in the center of it. And there's two towers, both of 31 stories. That should break ground uh, sometime this fall. And it's ahead of Jasper House from the standpoint of approvals. We have our development plan in place, so we're finishing up our engineering drawings, and then we'll apply for a permit. Mm. Altus Group has released some numbers that show that sales of condos fell last year 38% in Calgary. They fell 56% in Edmonton. Prices also dropped about 8.7% uh, in Calgary, 10% here in Edmonton. Is that the driving factor? I mean, it seems like an obvious question. Well, I, I, I think that um, sales of any kind <clears throat> excuse me, in Alberta are lower, uh, whether it's cars or televisions or condos. We're not delaying our project. It's delayed uh, for the for the for the typical reasons that projects get delayed, which is usually, unfortunately, permitting. But but I'll say that our our sales expectations uh, were were higher than we're seeing right now, and obviously that's because there's a slowdown in the economy. But we have Jasper House is about half sold now. And uh, I don't see any issue with us achieving the 65% sale mark by uh, next February, which is our newest estimated break ground date. Um, that, that represents about 30 or 40 more sales. So we'll get there, um, and I don't think it's sales that's going to stop us, although um, Edmonton and Calgary are weak markets right now for condo sales. This is interesting, Brad. Uh, it's the condo king, Brad Lamb, joining us. If you're just tuning in, because you know all of the headlines read, and, and I'll just get to one here right now. I mean, people are talking about how you know the, the, a slump in the price of oil guts jobs and housing demand, and condo plans are being put on hold. But I've heard from you twice already in this interview that it's a permit issue. I mean, are you are you implying or, or directly stating that Edmonton City Council is to blame for this delay and not necessarily market factors? Well, I'm not implying it. it. There's there's a natural progress to to getting projects approved, and uh, it's not it's not the fault of Edmonton City Council. It's it's in fact, if anyone's to blame, it's it's our bad estimate of how long it takes to push an approval through in a city that doesn't doesn't have hundreds of new towers uh, going through the system. So it, it's it's a it's, it's a it's a more um, it's not a difficult process. Like no one has said, "Hey, Brad, we hate your tower." It just has to go through that 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 uh, you know first the rezoning and then the development plan. In Toronto, uh, it takes us. It used to take us a year from start to finish to rezone and, and get a what's called site plan approval, which is the equivalent of a development plan in Alberta. And now it takes a year and eight months. And it's not it's not that there's any intention with the city. It's just the, the process takes that time. A lot of eyes have to see it. A lot of people have to be okay with what's going on. So I, I'm going to say usually what happens in our projects is sales typically coincide with the, the zoning process. It usually takes us about two years, um, two to sometimes longer, but usually two years to sell enough apartments to put a shovel in the ground. But we always hope it's going to be faster. It just usually takes about that amount of time. And the whole thing about start to finish for a condo is about seven years. From the time we buy the land to the last sale takes place and we close the corporation that, that put, put this project together, it's a 
purpose-built company for that one tower. It's about a seven-year, even an eight-year process. So, you know, and you usually, within that process, see a slowdown in sales. Almost always within eight years, there's either a recession or some external event that changes people's, out, you know, their outlook to buying large-ticket items. Generally speaking, are you optimistic in the economies of Alberta and Canada? Is this just a blip as far as you're concerned? Well, I'm, I'm optimistic about Canada's future um, uh, now, and, and I think, you know, short-term, long-term, I think we have a great future in Canada. It's a great country. I would say that uh, the East, you know, uh, Toronto is, is doing very well. Our economy is quite strong, and uh, we don't have any issues with selling large numbers of homes here. Uh, our housing prices are up double digits every year the last several years, and our volume is, is at maximum right now. I mean, we sold 102,000 resale properties in Toronto last year, which is a record. But listen, it, it, you'd have to be blind and stupid to think that uh, the economy is doing well in Alberta. It's not. The reality is that it's going to affect any business. It's going to affect your advertising revenue on the radio. It's going to affect our absorption rate of, of sales of condominiums. It's going to affect how many Cadillacs are sold. And that's what's going on right now in Alberta. It's not, it's not great. But I would say this: um, I'm, I'm a believer that, and I, I think it's been backed up by history that oil prices will not stay at thirty dollars a barrel for a long time. So all the jobs lost at some point, I think, in the near future, uh, will all be rehired again, and the oil sands will be back humming. But it's hard to see that now because all you can see is the negative. But you know, we've seen this before in Alberta. We've seen it before in, in Canada. We've seen it before in the United States and all of the world. It's a slowdown. It doesn't last forever. Brad Lamb of Lamb Development Corporation, thanks for your time today. You're welcome. Yeah, I remember when uh, Brad and I first spoke. It was in my previous employee as a morning television host, and the reason we were talking to him in studio was he was announcing that big project. Interesting to see it delayed as of yesterday, the official announcement. We thought you might be interested in his take on exactly why. I just learned a couple of things there. Nothing new on this show. When we come back, we'll get to the uh, more of your comments. Certainly not all of them, but as many as we can get to on Apple versus the FBI. Many of you have spoken out with some interesting comments. We'll get to those after this. We've woven conversation through this morning's broadcast uh, on Apple versus the FBI. If you're unfamiliar with it, Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, a couple of days ago releasing an, an open letter, a message to our customers, reads the title, where he lets everybody know the U.S. government has demanded that Apple take an unprecedented step, which Cook says threatens the security of Apple's customers. He says, we oppose this order, which has implications far beyond the legal case at hand. If you're just joining us, Apple's been asked by the FBI to create essentially what Tim Cook says is is a backdoor to the iPhone belonging to one of the San Bernardino shooters, or as someone on Twitter wants me to clarify this morning, one of the San Bernardino terrorists. Apple's CEO says... Some would argue that building a backdoor for just one iPhone is a simple, clean-cut solution. 
but it ignores both the basics of digital security and the significance of what the government is demanding in this case. He goes on to say, in today's digital world, the key to an encrypted system is a piece of information that unlocks the data, and it is only as secure as the protections around it. In other words, once the information is known or a way to bypass the code is revealed, the encryption can be defeated by anyone with that knowledge. Olga swung by 630ched.com and by clicking on the show's link, she sent me an email. She says, despite your analogy with the lock, in other words, the FBI holding a master key to every lock manufactured by a specific company, she says, I would be okay with Apple or the FBI looking at everything in my device, honestly. Olga says a possible problem here is how do we know that all people at the FBI are not the, quote, bad guys? She says we don't have that guarantee either. On the text line, a listener says, I I think we should make software that's more secure and will help the terrorists communicate and orchestrate terror attacks and murder more easily. But we need to protect my text messages to my kids from the FBI. A bit ridiculous, no? Open Mike says, what is ISIS attempting to do? If they're wanting Western culture to unravel, if they're looking to cultivate a counterculture of terrorism within our borders, we must be careful with how we react. The San Bernardino battle is over. The casualty list is complete. Keep our eyes and intelligence on the war. We must be smarter than the enemy. Churchill used superior intelligence to ally with a natural enemy. Stalin to defeat Hitler. There are still sealed files awaiting the 80th anniversary of the end of World War II. I must agree with Apple. They may have a backdoor already. Perhaps the CIA already knows what is on the phone, but can't tip its hand. Jay says, I agree with Apple. We've already given away far too many of our rights in the name of security with no real results to show for it. This is nothing more than a new age McCarthyism. Brian says, okay, let's say, the app, let's say the FBI gets the magic key from Apple. What happens when they get hacked by terrorists or people with bad intentions? Now what about the safety and protection of countries like the United States and Canada? Another listener says, I see Apple's point, but if this new software helps catch pedophiles and terrorists, then so be it. If you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to worry about. No one should operate above the law, Apple included. Joel says, saying you don't care about your online privacy because you have nothing to hide is like saying you don't care about freedom of speech because you have nothing to say. And Andrew says, not to be cliche, but they that can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. There it is again. Andrew goes on to say Apple is doing the right thing. The government is using the specter of a boogeyman to force a new unethical tool into their toolbox. We'll get in the last break of the hour and we'll be back with more of your comments after this. More comments on Apple versus the FBI. Blake says, you can't tell me that someone can hack a celebrity's iCloud and steal their personal photos and the FBI can't unlock a phone. Another says this Apple situation should be compared to the Enigma system of World War II. Listener out of Red Deer says, I can't even listen to this anymore. People are losing focus on what this is about. This isn't unlocking everybody's phones. This is one terrorist's phone. But no. That's not what it is. 
Brian says constitutions were created to protect the people from the government. Good for Apple for standing up for our rights. Giving software to the government that could hack all phones is absolutely insane. Spencer on the West End says the government with a warrant can freeze and seize your bank accounts. It can seize and search your car, can search your house, can go through your files, access your computer with or without your help. But your phone, now that's where we draw the line. These people were known terrorists that committed a violent act. They don't deserve privacy. A locksmith can pick any lock and tools can be obtained illegitimately. All computers can be accessed, but your phone, now that's where we draw the line. He says it has phone numbers, call logs, pictures, web history. Big deal. That from Spencer in the West End. Hmm. Matt says, I always hear the, well, if you have nothing to hide line. He says, what about company trade secrets? What about patenting new technology? What about personal lives of politicians? Just because you aren't doing something illegal doesn't mean your privacy doesn't matter. Matt says to trust that everyone in law enforcement and intelligence agencies are morally driven and 100% law-abiding is perhaps the most naive thing I've ever heard. If the government has access to all information, you can bet some bad actors will use this power for political influence and corporate espionage. Hmm. We're not going to find consensus on this. I don't think we're all going to agree on this, but we wanted to put this out there for your consideration. And the opinions have been all the way across the spectrum, and hey, they're all valid. Some of you willing to put personal rights of privacy up on the altar, the sacrificial altar, if it means stopping or potentially stopping terrorist activity. Others saying, hey, listen, this is just, again, more chipping away at our personal rights in the name of protecting them. Thanks for your contributions to the conversation today. Many of you have suggested that you'll be emailing the show and we ask you to do exactly that. We'll add the best ones to our mailbag to be opened up in future, maybe even sometime in tomorrow's show. It's already looking to be a strong one. We hope you'll join us kicking it off at 9 a.m. It's game day. Should be a great edition of Oilers Now. The news is in between. Have a great Thursday.